This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The Holy Gospel this day, John's Gospel, chapter 17. The opening verses of this chapter are the basis for the sermon today. Jesus in prayer to the Heavenly Father. After he said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Have you had thoughts like this? I need someone to talk to. Not just anyone, but someone with open ears and an open heart. Someone who will not belittle me or blow me off. I have so many things on my mind, so many things that bother me. I have a hard time finding the words, and too often I even feel stuck knowing what to say, so... So I just end up, most days, just sitting in silence, stewing in my thoughts or tossing and turning in my bed, distracted from a task at hand. And if I ever do find someone who will listen and crank up the courage to say what's on my heart, I'll probably fladuber all over the place and not the words in order get out. Was that bumping around in the mind of the Apostle John? All of his pals sent out to proclaim Christ to the world were dead. He alone survived another six decades, and though he was not facing the executioner's axe or thrown rocks or the cross, 
he was exiled to a deserted island, left to wonder if he would be roaming and ruminating all alone. If you're like me, you haven't felt that way every moment of every day, but I would imagine that there have been times when you would have wanted someone alongside to help carry the 39-gallon hefty bag full of stress and distress in your heart. Talking it out helps. But then, if someone you're actually talking to who's willing to listen concludes by saying, I'll pray for you. Oh, that is so heartwarming and so encouraging, especially if you're feeling down and blue or despairing and bottoming out. What if the Lord Jesus himself appeared and said to you, I'll pray for you. My friends, I'm here today to tell you that has actually happened. The Lord Jesus did appear physically on this earth and he took, I'll pray for you, a step further. He not only said it, he actually did it right in front of his followers. And what blows my socks off is he did that at a time we would least expect, just hours before he was crucified. You remember the story Jesus told, don't you, about the lost son? Some of us with a little more snow on the mountaintop would remember him as the prodigal son. It's this young man who begged his, for his father's share of the inheritance and went out and flushed it all down the sewer of wild and wicked living. He ended up at rock bottom, nowhere to go. And the guilt pressing on his heart was like the four legs of a rhino on his chest. Been there? I'm not asking if you've spent some time in the gutter. What I mean is, do you know what that kind of guilt feels like? If not, you are either delusional or dead. All of us, at one time or another, have said something so hurtful or neglected something so important or hurt someone so special that we pulled the King David and soaked our pillow with our tears because of the guilt. And that's when, that's when this scene should play out. The jury shuffles back into the courtroom and is seated in the jury box. The judge says, Madam Foreperson, have you reached a verdict? Yes, Your Honor, we have. And hands a piece of paper to the bailiff who hands that paper to the judge. The judge tells the defendant to rise. Madam Foreperson, how do you find? And the spokesman for the journey says, We find the defendant. If the defendant really knows that he's guilty and the defense counsel has tried every which way to outweigh and eliminate the evidence but hasn't been able to do that, and if the prosecution has an airtight case, how do you think? that that defendant is feeling, what's on his mind and in his heart the moment the jury is reading the verdict. That's how you and I should feel when we stand before the Holy God on the last day if we have even one sin on our account and if there is no Jesus. He knew 
that his disciples were heading toward Guilt Mountain. He knew that in just a couple of hours, Peter would be bawling his eyes out because after swearing up and down that he never hung around with that Jesus guy, the man from Nazareth hit him with a look that said, Oh dear Peter, I told you so. Jesus knew that all of them in just a couple days would be hanging their heads in shame. They arrested and sentenced and killed our leader and now they'll probably come after us. And what did we do? We hid. How could they get rid of the guilt? How can we? Listen to Jesus' prayer to his heavenly Father. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work, by finishing the work you gave me to do one day. And for some of these disciples, it might be every day. They would feel like they're standing at the back end of an unloaded guilt dump truck and they'd be calling out, somebody, anybody, please listen, help us deal with this guilt. And then, then they would recall Jesus' cross cry, it is finished, and they would recall his promise, I'll pray for you lifting guilt from your shoulders with my pardon. Parenting isn't easy. Parents live with the nagging thought on if they're providing enough care and protection to keep their children from harm. And then, sure enough, they hear the tumbling down the steps because the little one figured out how to unlatch the gate. And then they get that tear-filled midnight phone call, I've just been in an accident. Oh, no. It is apparent that not everyone here is a parent. But we've all had parents. And while we live in this broken world, parents aren't perfect. But imagine being in the sandals of those disciples of Jesus in the upper room the night before he died. They're reclining at the table, eating this Passover meal, and the air is just reeking of solemnity and seriousness. And then Jesus says, I've told you before, my friends, and now I'm going to say it to you again. The time has come. The hour is here. I'm going away, and you will see me no more. They felt like orphans. Of course, hindsight's 2020. We can look back 20 centuries and think to ourselves almost with a chuckle, well, those knuckleheads, they should have known better. They should have known that when Jesus said he was going away, it would be for their good because withdrawing his visible presence simply meant that he would be invisibly with them everywhere. They should have known. But I wonder how we would have fared if we were there on that Thursday evening. I have a hunch that we would be just as much filled with emptiness and loneliness and worthlessness. How do we get a solid sense of self-esteem and a sense of worth? How about belonging to a family with perfect parents? The Holy Scriptures identify God as our eternal, almighty, heavenly 
Father, and the scripture also makes it clear that he pours out to us mother-like care and nurture. Jesus put it this way in his prayer to the heavenly Father, I have revealed you to those you gave me. They are yours. No matter how far away you move, from home, no matter how many friends and relatives you have lost in death, no matter what kind of parenting skill your parents have showed, Jesus has given to you the status of being in God's family. One day, and for some of them it might be every day, these disciples would have this feeling of emptiness and loneliness and lostness and they would be crying out, somebody, anybody, please listen, help us with this loneliness. And then, then they would recall Jesus' promise. I'll pray for you, filling up your emptiness with my parental presence. It's no fun knowing that you are in the crosshairs of Satan's night scope on his gun. But living in this world, we are and his favorite ammunition? Fear. What kind of phobias do you have? Arachnophobia? Fear of spiders? Acrophobia? Fear of heights? Agoraphobia? Fear of crowds? Claustrophobia? Fear of enclosed spaces? Cynophobia? Fear of dogs? Ophidiophobia? Fear of snakes? Here's one not on the Google lists. Witnessophobia. Fear of telling other people about Jesus. The first followers of Jesus were wondering, hey, if they have arrested, sentenced, and killed our leader, they're coming after us and they'll probably find us. Where can we go? They could not hide. Can you sense the fear bubbling up like hot water in a pot on a stove? On top of that, Jesus said to them, I'm sending you to change the world as proclaimers of my message of love for all sinners. Huh? Can you fear, see, sense the fear rising like the tide? What? We're supposed to go out and talk about you? None of us has a degree in evangelism from the University of Jerusalem, and the only schools we know are the schools of fish in the Sea of Galilee, and we're supposed to change the world? Such fear. And then Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father, All I have is yours and all you have is mine. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, heavenly Father, because they in the world will have then my protection. He is praying not only for his first followers, but for you and for me. He's praying that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh may not deceive us or lead us into false belief, despair, and other great and shameful sins. And even though we are tempted by them, that still we may overcome and win the victory. And he's praying that our Heavenly Father would deliver us from every evil that troubles body and soul, property and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, graciously take us from this world of sorrow to himself in heaven. I just quoted Martin Luther from the small catechism. One day, and maybe every day, some of these disciples would be shivering in their boots with fear, especially fear about witnessing for Jesus. 
And they would call out, somebody, anybody, please listen, help us deal with this fear. And then, and then they would recall Jesus' promise. I'll pray for you, eliminating your fear with my protection. Were you there? Were you there? That's a Lenten hymn that takes us to Mount Calvary. It's a Lenten hymn with a title in the form of a question which is answered by the stanzas of that hymn and also by our conviction, yes, we were there. Yes, I was there. My sins put him there. I pushed down on the crown of thorns. I pounded the spikes through his wrists with my sin. I jeered him with my so-what-if-I-sinned attitude. I jabbed him with the spear of my ego. But he did it, took it, bore it, paid for it all to give me the assurance of the answer to the question, were you there when Jesus prayed for you? And is he going to be there praying for you now? Think about that. The next time you need someone to talk to, go ahead, call a friend, ask for a referral, but be sure also to talk to your God because the living Lord Jesus who lived and died for us and rose to prove it's true is by our side. And he's praying for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.